A dream pop departure from an accomplished songwriter. A feel-good performance by a musician with powerful pipes and serious production savvy. And a sentimental song from one of the most popular artists on the face of the planet. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school, Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. Pew, 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 folks, we are back for 2022 with a brand new episode of Themes and Variation coming at you. We're feeling refreshed after a fantastic holiday. I hope this new year is off to a fantastic start for you. And speaking of being off to fantastic starts, I would say we're really cooking over on soundfly.com. We have some incredible courses we're working on right now with some amazing artists. You know us for our Kimbra course, RJD2, Kiefer. We have some really, really exciting new artists that we're working with right now and should have some more information for you on those courses very, very shortly. And of course, you can subscribe at soundfly.com to take advantage of our existing courses. And you can tell them Carter sent you by using that discount code themes to take 20% off a monthly or annual subscription. And hey, you might even want to check out working with a mentor one-on-one on maybe some new musical goals. I'm actually starting a session right now. I started last week with my man, Marty, who you're about to hear on this podcast. You know, if you know anything about my musical career, which why would you? But uh, if you do, because you've maybe been listening to this podcast a lot, I'm a bass player by trade and, and a lot of touring and performing and stuff in my background and, and working on records in that way. But I want to get a lot better at production. So I turned to Soundfly. I turned to some mentorship and I am digging deep into those goals right now. I'm learning a ton about mixing and editing and things, things that maybe I already knew a little bit about, but I needed to level up in a big way. And uh, Marty's helped me do that. So uh, yeah, check out our mentors at soundfly.com as well for any musical goals that you have and you want to achieve this year. So let's turn our attention to this episode and its theme of songs from the imminent past, which uh, truthfully is just our way of saying songs from 2021. And of course, joining me on a celebration of some of our favorite tracks from the last year is my frequent co-host, Mihaela Lee, and our good friend, producer, composer, and Soundfly teammate, Martin Fowler. Martin is a remarkable musician, having composed music underscoring Pulitzer Prize-winning radio from This American Life and other number one iTunes podcasts. He's composed ad music for clients like MLB, BMW, Coke, and Spotify, and contributed to beats for the likes of Lil Wayne, Princess Nokia, and Aja the Queen. You might also remember Marty from some of our episodes here at Themes and Variation, including our very first episode ever, Songs from the First Album I Ever Bought. Love the guy. He's always just such a blast to sit down and talk music with. And we get into all kinds of things on this episode, like our own musical goals for the year, the super unique production of Dijon's track, Big Mics, and some wild themes we want to see on the podcast this year. So without further ado, let's get into the episode, Songs from the Imminent Past. Folks, another themes and variation coming at you, the first one of 2022. Hope this year is finding you very well already. Of course, joining me on this episode is my frequent co-host, Mahaya Lee. Mahaya, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, Carter. How are you? 
I'm fantastic. We are bringing back a classic heavy hitter guest, the very first guest to ever appear on Themes and Variation, Martin Fowler. Marty, how are you doing? (laughs) Bringing it back. All back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy Pod Year. Happy Pod Day. We're thinking songs from the past year, and Marty threw out this beautifully worded uh, theme for this episode, songs from the imminent past. I like it. All my art school friends are uh, rolling their eyes. Would you consider us all art school grads? I'm, I'm always a little yes. on the line with that. No, music, music school grads school? are art school grads, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Uh, guys, I have a different kickoff question for you for this episode. What are your musical goals for 2022? Any Anything that you guys, about the music that you're making, Mejia hates this question, but I think that's fine because I want to know. I don't hate this question. <laughs> I, I like this question for other people. For myself, But it makes you, it gets a little too real. Well, I was just, I was writing down my little notes because sometimes mm-hmm. I take notes in case you guys are making a really good point during the podcast and nice. I don't want to interrupt you, but I don't want to forget my thing. I just wrote January 12th, 2023. So I have bypassed <laughs> my musical goals for the year mentally. That's great. Um, I don't know. Skip me for now. Marty, Marty. what are your goals for 2022? Man, it's going to be a big year. It's going to be an exciting year, beautiful year. It's going to be full of collaboration. I'm going to put out my, well, I don't know if I'm going to put the record out, but I'm going to complete my first solo record this year. Ooh, that's awesome. Been like waffling on how I wanted this record to come come along mm-hmm. for a long time and i've i've decided that the uh the spirit of togetherness and collaboration is is one i want to imbue my life with and this is no exception um that being said my other musical goal is to write 50 library tracks library tracks meaning production music tracks that get placed in uh film and tv i've been working with a uh, a studio out in la for a while um called endless noise that does a lot of work in that space and uh i'm going to Gonna ramp it up a little bit this year. A track a week. You just get a about a little bit of leeway with the the two extra weeks, but that's still like pretty heavy goal, but I love it. Uh Mahe, you've had a little bit of time now to think about your goals for twenty twenty two. I have so many <laughs> musical goals always. Maybe for me the biggest one is I just I need to be less of a hypocrite about certain things. Um I have a finished EP that I've just never done anything with because I lost interest by the time it was done. I think a lot of it is just I'm, I need to follow my own advice, like the stuff that I tell students on a regular basis about, you know, getting over your personal emotional hurdles mm-hmm. or finishing things. Um, Carter, what yep. are your goals? Oh, man. Um, uh, yeah, I got one. I, I just want to point out the surest way to never, ever, like, achieve your goals is to, like, just put some vague thing. And that's where I always, I think, fall short on my goals. It's like, you have the bulletin board material. Like this is my goal. I'm gonna, you know, write a bunch of tracks. Where like Marty, you're you're writing 50 tracks, but there are markers to that, right, for you in terms of how you're gonna get to that goal. My goal, yeah, I want to put some music out this year. I have a, a very specific approach. I again, like like everybody, everybody listening to this podcast probably makes music. I have a hard drive full of stuff. Hard drive full of stuff that is pretty much done, but. I need to get better at certain things, namely mixing, uh, a hard drive full of little ideas and things like that. Um, but I'm, I'm working actually with my man, Marty, starting next week. I'm doing a Ooh. session with him, and that's how I'm starting my year. But uh, let's, uh, let's get into the first tracks of the year. Let's get to listening a little bit.
folks, yeah, we are listening to Japanese Breakfast, Be Sweet. Japanese Breakfast, of course, Michelle Zahner. You guys, you're, you heard this track before, uh, before I selected it for this episode? Yeah. And what were your, what were your first impressions of it? It's catchy as hell. It's catchy <laughs> as hell. I want to hear that all the time. Every time, and I haven't heard this too many times that I'm aware of, but the times I have heard it for some reason... I feel like you can picture the bassist and like this isn't his deal and this isn't like how he performs to my knowledge. He never has. But I picture like a Fred Armisen character, like something about that bass line. I just picture a bass player who's like rocking back and forth with like really happy eyes and a straight like mouth expression. If That's what you call that. I don't know what it is. (laughs) I think there was like a little tongue in cheek like the way that the origin to this song, but it actually became like a very real uh, version of like a dream pop, like nostalgic 80s track. And we'll get into that a little bit, but I think it's, it's origins certainly are like light and playful and fun. Uh, You know, Michelle is an artist that I I always think of like, Oh yeah, I listen to Japanese breakfast all the time. And then I sit back and like, do I really listen to enough? And I really don't (laughs) think that I do. Um, Certainly like soft sounds from another planet. Absolutely love that record and was, I think my introduction to her her work. So this track, released on Jubilee, it was actually written with Jack Tatum. I wasn't super familiar, but like digging into the Wild Nothing stuff, certainly very dream poppy. You can definitely hear the influence that 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 Jack Tatum would have had on this track for sure. So there's this quote uh, from Michelle uh, of how this track came to be that I, I love because it definitely like pulls the curtains back on how these things kind of happen from time to time. So she says, uh, back in 2018, I decided to try out writing sessions for the first time and I was having a tough go of it. My publisher had set me up with Jack Tatum of Wild Nothing. What happens is they lie to you and say, Jack loves your music and wants uh, wants you to help him write his new record. And then to him, they'd say, Michelle loves Wild Nothing. She wants, she really wants to write together. So once they got, once we got together, we were like, I don't need help. Uh, I'm not writing a record. So, uh, so we decided we'd just write a pop song to sell and make some money. Um, we didn't have anyone specific in mind. We just knew it wasn't going to be for either of us. Uh, of course, once we started putting it together, I realized I really loved it. I think the distance of writing it uh, for someone else allowed me to take on this sassy 80s women of the night <laughs> persona. Uh, to me, it almost feels like a Madonna, Whitney Houston, or Janet Jackson song. So, yeah, I mean, uh, having been in those situations before, it's so awkward at first when you're just like, yeah, like for whatever, like maybe management puts you in the room with some other artist and it's like, you guys just, you guys, it's a writing session and it's it's like a blind date, but like on the nth degree where you have to discover what each other is good at and can like help each other out with and write something that is actually cohesive in the span of like, you know, you got to figure that out pretty quick or the vibes get very dull very, very quickly. <laughs> and I did one with you, Carter. And it, it, it's just strange to have the dynamic of if somebody asks you to try something, 
it doesn't behoove you to be like, that's not really something I do. So, At all. Like, yeah. 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 So you have to lean into the, like, you have to hold your cards close to your chest in terms of the things that you are good at and proud of being good at if if they're not familiar with how you work and at the same time you have to be willing to try on hats that you wouldn't normally wear because you just don't want to be the negative person stopping the creative juices flowing and being like oh i'm not really a singer like no i'm not the one you want to jump on the mic as we try to work this out necessarily This track, things I love about it, of course, the guitar and synth loaded with chorus. Uh, that's going to get me every single time. The very infectious, punchy bass line. Um, we're going to play the game, of course, of Carter guessed the uh, the method of bass. Um, I mean, to me and Marty, I, I love your thoughts, but like, that's such a, a P bass. That's a P bass with flat wounds with a pick. Like, that's maybe a felt pick. That's kind of where I'm not <laughs> super certain. Um, but yeah, that, know. that's it, where my really ears cuts. draw me. It really cuts. I, I would be surprised to learn if it was a felt pick. I mean, it's like, it's smooth and oozy in its performance, but I feel like mix wise, it's, it's, it cuts a little too hard. The form of this tune is, is a little unique. I, I think it's not like a, a super straightforward. You have two verses, one of them 16 bars, the other one's only eight. That's certainly not like an incredibly uncommon thing, but like a little bit unique to me. Um, I love the synth lead on the outro. It's like super sick. It's not, it's kind of more of a complimentary part than a, a big lead. I want to touch on the harmony of this track for for actually a very important reason. Super straightforward changes in in D minor for the most part. There is a five minor chord used in the pre-chorus that moves to the flat seven instead of resolving to the one chord right away, which I'm going to play for you guys uh, right now. Bridge also actually features a flat two major chord in kind of to me like an unconventional kind of way. It doesn't resolve back to the one right away, which is kind of kind of unique to me. I one, not even gripe, but like I want that pre-chorus to loop a little bit uh, the second time around. It's so good. Like there's so much mm. space and the that that lyric is phenomenal and the melody is just so powerful too. So, but you know, all Which of this lyric, the make it up to me line. Make, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. not not to get off track here, but the the harmony side of things. The reason we went through all that is is Zahner actually said she <laughs> took music theory lessons and studied piano in preparation for this record. I love hearing that. 
Uh, she noted, I was able to incorporate more interesting chord changes and write more uh, on piano for the first time. Love hearing that because I think cool. so often it, there's a, a shying away from, you know, if I learn how to do this stuff, I'm just going to be boxed in by this this knowledge that I have now, which is so counterintuitive. But I, I understand that perspective. I understand being afraid of, well, if I learn how to just use some more in, like advanced harmony stuff, like I'm only like I'm going to lose what made my music special in the first place. I th- I think that nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, that's not the case. You usually just add more tools and they end up working. That fear of like, if I learn theory, will it impact me negatively in a creative sense? I think there is a phase when it will, to be honest, but I think it's like a growing pains phase. You got to fight through that. Working through. Yeah. If you're. Yeah. So I think, I think there's, there's room for like, like you can get as far out as you want and as creative before you know anything. And then I think you also are more likely to do that more efficiently and more successfully when you're at a point where that, where you're not fixating on the knowledge because you're so comfortable with it. But yeah, I think there's a sophomoric phase where it's like, yeah, you might get in your head a little bit for a little while. The thing that I've learned by going through too much of being in that headspace is that a tool is only as useful as how creative it helps you be, which is to say like, you know, I, Laura Fay, who's the lead singer songwriter of Arthur Moon, the band I, I play with and produce with, they're very open about only having as much theory and harmony knowledge as they need for what they're working on. And that sort of creative confine gives them the freedom to explore things and be surprised by things and opens up a creative space that if you know everything, um, you don't necessarily have immediate access to. It's kind of closed off from you. Like if I know what all the chord possibilities are, um, it's kind of overwhelming. And rather than being able to engage in play, being able to engage in surprise, all these things that are at the core of creativity, you, you're, you're, res- you're actually restricted by your knowledge. And, and that's true for any skill set in, in, in the whole breadth of music. It doesn't have to be about chords and melodic knowledge. It could be about uh, lyricism. It could be about uh, how well you know your instrument. It could be about any of those things. And, and when you're exploring and, and enjoying the process of engaging in a new space and engaging in play and surprise, I mean, that's where, that's where creativity lives. So it's, it's not a bad thing. So this this is a tune called Big Mike's from his 2021 record 
absolutely. This is the artist Dijon. He's a super interesting uh, sort of alternative R&B artist uh, out of, originally out of Baltimore, in my understanding. He's in LA these days. This track came uh, came to me, I think, through uh, just like seeing it over and over on, on my Instagram feed, just uh, and <laughs> just tons and tons of friends of mine posting this video. It's really all about this version. The video is called Playing the First Song from My First <laughs> yeah, Album. I love that. Which I love. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's him in a house that immediately feels like it's a house just like somewhere random in LA. And he's just in there with, I think it's like six or maybe seven, seven homies. And they're just like, yeah, I don't know what it looks, them are doing. It looks like they're having a house rehearsal, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. so casual and, and so warm. Um, and over the next, you know, I think seven minutes, they play this, this version of this, uh, of his first song off his first full length album. And it's just this gorgeous unfolding, um, it, it, a constant growth over the course of, of the performance. It's hard enough for me to like sit through any full track, I feel like, without like my mind wandering and stuff. But th- this was like completely enthralling. And I, you mentioned the room. The room, like visually, is, is super important, but it plays such a huge role in the sound of this track. Like, yes. I, there's a mic laying somewhere that he's dialing in and dialing back. So, like, the stomping is being picked up like really heavily. And it's. Yeah. So cool! Oh my God, is that ever cool? Like yeah, the, the room mic? is. So I, it's yeah, it's interesting. Just, I don't yeah. I don't totally know. I mean, I see that there's there's a there's a an X Y pair on the table, uh-huh. which I think is supposed to mm-hmm. just pick up a lot of what's happening in the room because they know it's set up so that he can just wander. They yep. know he's going to wander. The right. point is for him to wander. And so, you know, later in the song, he's singing a verse and like, you can barely hear it because he's between those mics and the drum kit mics. It's extremely well mixed. Yeah. And obviously okay. extremely well captured. And there are some almost hyper real moments in the way the mix mm. is accentuated. I think the stomps are a part of that. I think, yeah. you know, yeah. the, the way they treat the feedback. It's a, he's got a lot of electronics on the table mm-hmm. that he's messing with. Looks like maybe one of them's like a drum machine or a loop pedal or something. Another one is tied to like some kind of feedback loop on the guitar. And that's what he's, he's mm-hmm. turning it up. And it's like, it's this washy feedbacky kind of sound. And he, it's really overwhelming when he turns it up. And then when it goes away, it's like such a, a, a cool dynamic effect uh, right before he comes into the verse and later on in the song too. And then, and then all the other sounds, I mean, they're perfectly placed in the mix. Like it's real even, like you said, the vocals sound great. Yeah, They did a lot of work to make it sound this good. I like how you look when you undress. 
it's interesting. He's got just uh, a, a real taste for Americana, you know, from mm -hmm. from the sound mm -hmm. of the guitars mm -hmm. to the to the honky tonk piano to the stomps. You know, there's a lot of those elements in there. Even though the mm -hmm. the genre is really sort of more of an R and B genre because of his vocal stylings and background. Yeah. It's such an yeah. interesting fusion. Even though it has this like indie vibe, this Americana vibe, it's also got like deep roots in 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 the core of of Black American music, as as well as more like uh, mm -hmm. white Appalachian traditional music uh, elements. Mm -hmm. You know, um, well, like that background vocal that feels it's got a little bit of a gospel feel to it. It's definitely certainly got a choral feel to it. Absolutely, the harmony line is so nice. Yeah, and then just you know. It's it's one thing to listen to this track and it's another to 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 see this video and experience yeah. the way that this group of musicians is is interacting with one another and 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 truly vibing off one another and and using their whole body to perform the music like seeing the way that that Dijon and and the guitar player sing those harmonies together but they're singing at each other you know they're 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 mm -hmm. they're they're sending their voices like into each other so that they the sound waves hit each other and explode in space you know like <laughs> like and you and you can hear that on the recording but but when you see it at the same time it's it's got this whole other level of experience to it That's the coolest thing to me about this. Like we've, you know, having been in those moments in those rooms where something really special happens musically, and it's not planned that it's gonna be that spiritual. Like you can't plan the spiritual kind of feeling after, but you just kind of like feel like, whoa, like did we just really do that? That was sick. Yeah. This has that for the the viewer and the listener too, which is really rare, I think. And 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 the other thing about it is like this is like. Like they're about to go on tour, I think. Like it, if you feel safe about doing those things and and going out, like <laughs> this is kind of like must see shit now. Like that, it's so good that like you want to see how they knock this tune out live because it's yeah. probably gonna be a little different than what they've got here and just the slow build and the and like it's just unbelievable. I goddamn and the, the other thing too, like the obvious thing though too is like. Guitar playing, guitar playing, guitar playing on this is so good. It's, it's so perfect. Ripping, uh, yeah. The bass playing too is like just like everybody's listening to each other to the nth degree and making sure that this thing doesn't ever get off the rails at all. It's just allowed to breathe and it's, yeah. it's so good. So like Marty, you were talking about how some of this is uh, Carter. You were talking about this too. I don't know why I just isolated Marty, but you know some of some of the feeling that you have when you watch this video does come from the fact that you've been in rehearsal situations like this, 
um, you know, as have I. And it does kind of, it, it makes you think of the times when those single room rehearsals are at their best. Mm. Um, so when you watch this video, how much of it do you think comes from the fact that you are familiar with those situations? Like how, you know, like how much of it, how much of your own experience are you bringing to the table in terms of how this feels for you? Totally. I think, you know, we're really lucky that we have, I think of it as like the, the empathy sympathy division where like we mm. are lucky enough to experience this video, not just in a sympathetic way where we're like on the journey, we see them building this song together and like uh, interacting with one another. And, and right. as a listener, most listeners can relate and enjoy and experience music performances in that sympathetic way and and that's mm -hmm. what they love about it and we have this this next level of of um truly empathizing with being the people in that room and and so i think that was a part of my emotional experience of just watching them interact with one another was like i remember what that feels like to to right. to like have the push and pull of a tempo and like put my whole body into moving around what the music is doing around me. Yeah, absolutely. Eye contact. Mm -hmm. You know, the mm -hmm. moment when you play something, you, you make eye contact with somebody who you don't necessarily have a reason to look at at a given point, you know, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and you both smile just a little because something yeah. is working and then you don't want it to end. I think I've put praise on the mixer and, and the producers of, of this particular session enough, but like truly the <laughs> amount of chaos that this track builds into and yet comes through with such great clarity, like kudos to them. I mean, it takes, yeah. you can tell all these, all these guys, I, and I think they're all guys in the room, uh, are really heavy cats. Like they know what they're doing they're they're playing they're playing with incredible dynamicism uh incredibly tasteful parts incredible tone mm -hmm. that comes from the players first obviously but to make all that stuff work together like man takes takes a lot of post-production yeah. work and it's it's pretty killer the the only other thing i'd say is you know i'm I, i've really driven home that this video was really important for me but you listen to the record and it's it feels like you're in this room when you listen to the record and the other tracks are, are just as beautiful, just as hard hitting. He's got some, like a couple of singles that are slightly pop popular, but they do not, they do not drop the, the sort of at home, um, in the room with you kind of feel production wise, performance wise. Um, and I can't, I can't recommend this, this record enough. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Mahia, what are we listening to? The 10-minute version of the Taylor Swift song, All Too Well, from Red, Taylor's version from last year. Mm -hmm. The original album, Red, came out in 2012, I believe. First of all, the re-recordings. Obviously, you guys have heard about this, are familiar with this. Mm -hmm. um, 
What are your thoughts on that? Because it's really, it's really interesting to me that that's all. It's going awesome. On. Good for her. That's phenomenal. Like, okay, you're not going to give me my master's back. All right, I'll just make new copies. Like, it just goes to show, like, Who how else could do it? <laughs> exactly. What other artists could be like? I have such a rabid fan base that I'll just re-record the same songs, and then they'll want to support that. And and I think it's awesome. I think it's fantastic. So, for listeners who don't really know, the situation is basically Taylor Swift. Um, could not attain the rights to some of her own music masters, and so decided that she was just going to go ahead and make new versions. I mean, I, I honestly can't think of anyone else who could pull it off, but it's also interesting to see how she's changed as a performer. Marty, I can see a look on your face that makes me feel like you have thoughts whether or not you've tied them all together just yet. <laughs> I have made the terrible mistake of reading YouTube comments below the mm. video, which was not yeah. a good idea. Not oh, a yeah. good idea at all. So forgive my my strange looks. Did you get anything good? You know, it's it's interesting uh what people have to say about the the scenario mm. depicted in the song, which is, you know, we're not there yet. But going back to what you're talking about about the situation of her re-releases, I mean, I I think it's killer. I really really respect that she is doing that and I really don't respect the people who are not trying to work with her for whom it is all about money. I just think right. the way we treat copyright, especially yeah. at the the highest levels in the music industry, is really, really gross. You know, I'm glad she's able to stick it to him because I, I, I really don't care for him. Yeah, I guess in October 2020, Scooter Braun sold the Masters videos and artworks, I think for her first six mm-hmm. albums, to Shamrock Holdings an American private equity firm owned by the Disney estate for reportedly $300 million. So that, Whoa. yeah, like cool. That, that serves the art really. That's, yeah. It's, and it's horrible, <laughs> but it's also like, this is again, all like people do things that benefit them more than anything else. Right. So if he's going to be able to do that, it's only because the system is set up for him to be able to do that. And it sucks all the sure. way around, but good for her. But hopefully this know. will change some of those things or at least bring it into our consciousness in a different way. I've always liked Taylor Swift. I've never loved her enough to be like a Swifty. You know, I just, I, I don't have that with any artist, really. Um, I've never crossed over into that threshold, but pretty much everything about her, I'm like, that's an interesting, positive thing for music from my perspective. I mean, how many other major, like, Billboard top style artists are the primary songwriters on the bulk of their music? That in itself mm. is amazing to me. Um, yeah. This song is sort of, for a lot of critics in particular, the moment when people realize she wasn't like a flash-in-the-pan country pop star. This is a real song <laughs> that shows somebody with emotional depth that can write something powerful and relatable that it doesn't have a timestamp on it. you know, Or not timestamp, like an expiration date on it, I guess. Yes, <laughs> Carter? <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh, my my take, like lyrically, the, the only the only thing, like it's a beautiful song and that's great. And I could be reading this wrong, and I'm trying to like put my own spin on it. But like, let me just get this in relation to the video. Taylor yes. becomes she's she's the older woman. Thirteen years later, right? So she's both women. She's both women, right? But like she yeah. in, in thirteen years of the future releases a book. I can't remember what the what the quote was on the book, but it was like. A stunning debut novel or something was the was on right. the board. Awesome. But like based on this three month relationship, I think, that happened thirteen years earlier, like that's that's wild to me. That is so wild. Wait, are so you I don't... talking about our reality or the reality of that video? 
There, wait, uh, sorry. A stu- that's another yeah. thing about her, right? She's very personal in what she's writing about, and this yeah. is one that the source has basically been confirmed. Who, who's the source of this? Guess. John Mayer? No, that's what <laughs> okay. I thought, too, and I hate that this is part of the Taylor Swift <laughs> conversation, but it is, because she dates interesting people. The song is supposedly about Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, all the okay. comments below are, are talking about that. Just interesting. Yeah, of course they but are. I, no, I think your Source point code. is good. I think <laughs> your point awesome. is, is a good one, Mejia, which is like one of Taylor's great talents as a songwriter is full immersion of an emotional space. So like, yes. sure, it was a three-month relationship, but the actual lived experience of the pain can be described in this very melodramatic way because of mm-hmm. artistic license and and she has a real knack for exploring that sort of uh extended artistic license space if you will yeah and it's just hi- it's hyper melodramatic but that's sort of the point is is to explore the details of those intense feelings even if they're fleeting totally i think a lot of it is sexism to be honest like the fact that she was a young blonde girl when a lot of these songs were written is i think that gets in our heads and we think of like young relationships as being frivolous and stuff like that but you know a lot of the time those things do have a lasting effect on who you are as a person and i think she gets right up to the line of like something that could be so cheesy it's cringy every now and then but not in a way that i am opposed to i feel she does it almost in the way that like opera does where it's like the point isn't this detail (laughs) But by painting this very vivid picture that you might have other associations yeah. with that you might think is cheesy, all that melodrama, it makes it easier for us to connect to in a cathartic way as listeners sometimes. Um, nobody has a scarf that I left anywhere, but like like somebody's got a book. I got some stuff like that. <laughs> I got some stuff. That feeling of somebody leaving behind a piece of themselves through the safety of her very specific, sometimes cheesy details you're able to get an emotional catharsis without like that you can still kind of disconnect from when you need to because you can't just sit around listening to Taylor Swift and crying all day. People wouldn't be able to get anything done if that were the case. Um, like her lyrics, and I, maybe it's because she came from country, have such a like direct way of addressing things. Like there's metaphor, but not everything is wrapped in it. You right. Know? right. And, and I appreciate that when it's done well. Yeah. But yeah, I think in in the history of great American songwriters, there are few people who have really mastered that blunt but beautiful way of um, writing lyrics. And I think that in our generation, she's one of very few. Back my things and I walk home alone. But you keep my old scarf from that very first week. Cause it reminds you of innocence and it smells like me. You can't get rid of it. Um, until last year, American Pie held the record for the Guinness record for the longest song to make it to the Billboard 100. Taylor's version, the 10 minute version, I should say, of All Too Well has now taken that throne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 10 minutes. People are listening to the whole thing. Um, apparently, the song was originally about 10 to 12 minutes long. And for the 2012 version, they had to bring in Liz Rose, who's a frequent Taylor Swift co-writer collaborator, to help her shorten it. Listen, Taylor's got a lot of feelings. Don't hold her back. (laughs) I know. But the song does build more. And I think what always worked about this song, even in the shorter version, is the fact that it does, it has this very steady build. Like the climax is huge. And in the 10 minute version, it's even bigger and more satisfying when you get there. Mm. Um, 
I don't know. I I listened to it. I I've had to pause it at eight and a half minutes a couple times because it does make me feel overly emotional. That's wow. That's for real with this song. <laughs> Wind in my hair, you would bear, you remember it all down the stairs, you were there, you remember it all. It was rare, I was there, I remember. How does this song inform your idea of the imminent past oh man i totally forgot that's what our theme was because it's so like (laughs) it's so deep but it's just songs from last year how does it inform oh my god marty that just blew my mind um here's what i would say i think it's um it's a it's a great song for remembering the import of reflection and remembrance um Mm. and in that sense, you know, our memory is where where the imminent past lives. Um, that's what I would say. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. Fu- and and also the value of knowing when to move forward and at times away from something that isn't working. Um, and you know, symbolically, its place in music history and the business of music will hopefully be um, a positive one and a, a good omen for things to come. <laughs> uh- it's just thinking about imminent past. You guys ever get into those those feedback loops mentally where you're like, like literally what I'm saying right now is like, oh, it's gone. It's gone. It's in the past now. Immediately. Like everything is <laughs> like everything that we've talked about today is now in the imminent past. But but we're it's, oh, I just broke my own brain. <laughs> it, Carter, it, it was in the imminent past. That, oh. Are there any themes that you guys are excited to talk about in 2022? Yeah, persona songs. I really want to do that because I have, well, I have to go out and find the record that I used to have that is like, this podcast was made for this. Oh, you mean like alter ego songs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alter ego songs. Like that, that's, yeah. I had the perfect, just for me to be able to dig into it. Oh boy, I'm very, very excited about that. But I have to, yeah, I have to go, like this record. I'm not going to give away the artist, but the artist was so like they it, it went so poorly. Their alt, their alter ego record went so horribly that they've scrubbed it from the internet. They like <laughs> like lawsuit after lawsuit to make it not it's power really visible or or listenable. I found four copies of the record at Amoeba. I bought three of them, and now I have to figure out how I'm going to find. <laughs> I didn't know I'm, you bought three. Yeah, well, they were like four dollars each. Uh, so what it, are you it's gonna fine. do with them? <laughs> That was a, that was another thing that I, another project. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Number yeah. one, those are investments. So absolutely, <laughs> Marty. Are there any themes or or types of themes you're hoping for in 2022? Well, I was trying to think. You know, I always love the quirky ones, but the this this yeah. theme of time kind of has me thinking of like s- songs, undeniable undeniable future classic songs. Ooh, which is to say, like. Pieces of music. I, I have. Um. I have here on my on my table the Bach Six Suites for uh, violoncello solo, um, as made famous by Yo Yo Ma. I'm enjoying uh, slowly learning them on my five string bass. Um, but like you know, he wrote he wrote this shit how many hundred years ago? 
and and here it is on my desk. So it's always it's always interesting to me to, to go through the exercise of saying like, what of contemporary culture will anyone care about? You know, three hundred years from now. And that's going to do it for this episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. We want to know your favorite songs from the imminent past. So as always, there's a link to a Spotify community playlist in our show notes. Feel free to add your selections there. And as we embark on another year of episodes, we want to know what themes you want to see on Themes and Variations. So if you have any theme suggestions or questions or comments about the podcast, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at soundfly.com. And as always, head to soundfly.com for all of your music learning needs where you can use the discount code THEMES to take 20% off a monthly or annual subscription. And you can always sign up to work with one of our incredible mentors on any musical goal you might have. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme.